Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Anytime you start anything really hard, it's like the ocean. It wants to keep spitting you out. You know, you're surfing and you you either drown, it spits you out onto the beach, and eventually you get to ride the wave, but not without a lot of hard work to try to get up first. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very, very excited about today's show. Part one of two with Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger Show. This guy is really, really special, and you're really going to love this show. One of the most interesting, unique, and special guys you'll ever, ever spend time with. And we have him here this week. Very excited about it. And before we get started, I just want to thank you guys, as I always do. Can't do without you. So grateful. Very, very happy for all your support. If you need to reach me, just reach me at Twitter or Instagram at at BarryCats or on LinkedIn, or the website, or however you normally do it, including FedExing me. I answer everything, and I'm honored to talk to you. Thank you for your support again. 
really appreciate it. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce the main man, and then we'll get into it. And I tell you, you're really, really going to enjoy this one. Jordan Harbinger is a Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, social dynamics expert, and entrepreneur. After hosting a top 50 iTunes podcast for over a decade that enjoyed nearly 4 million downloads a month at its zenith, Jordan has embarked on a new adventure, The Jordan Harbinger Show, where he deconstructs the playbooks of the most successful people on earth and shares their strategies, perspectives, and insights with the rest of us. Jordan's business sense, extensive knowledge of the industry, and contemporary approach to teaching make him one of the best and most sought-after coaches in the world. Harbinger has always had an affinity for social influence, interpersonal dynamics, and social engineering, helping private companies test the security of their communication systems and working with law enforcement agencies before he was even old enough to drive. Jordan spent several years abroad in Europe and the developing world, including South America, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. He has also worked for various governments and NGOs overseas. And for those of you who don't know what an NGO is, it's a non-governmental organization. It's kind of like a non-profit or group which is organized. It can be local, national, or international. Throughout his travels, Jordan has found himself in many dangerous situations, has traveled through several war zones, and been kidnapped twice. He'll tell you the only reason he's still alive and kicking is because of his ability to talk his way into and out of just about any type of situation. Harbinger co-founded the Art of Charm podcast in 2006, in 2007, SiriusXM offered Jordan a position as a talk show host for his program on its online and satellite radio platforms. The show has featured guests including Shaquille O'Neal, Mike Rowe, Russell Brand, Tony Hawk, and Tim Ferriss, just to name a select few. As of 2007, it has published over 916 episodes. Recently, Harbinger left the Art of Charm podcast to host his own venture, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which is one of the fastest-growing new podcasts in the world. I know you're going to like this guy a lot. He's incredible. Please welcome my guest. An honor to have him here, Jordan Harbinger. Thanks for having me on, man. No problem. I was telling you earlier that your wife Jen is here, and you guys have such an amazing energy together and i was actually saying on your podcast how fate is an amazing thing and how if you hadn't done your podcast you never would have met this extraordinary woman and that's your right. life would never have changed personally forever that's right yeah it she was a fan of the show we started talking she found out about the show through her brother and then dot 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 marriage did her brother always like you? Yeah, because he already knew that I was a normal person. I, As far as I know, he did, yeah. You start going out with his sister, he recommends you right. to the podcast, and then all of a sudden, you guys are holding hands at a bar mitzvah, and it's like, what happened here? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I think there was probably a point at which he, he thought, okay, this is weird, because 
my sister's dating this guy who used to do this show that I listened to. I hope he's as good of a person as I assume that he was when I listened to the show. And uh, hopefully I wasn't disappointed. Hopefully I didn't disappoint him or the family. He did do the officiating at our wedding. So I take that as a seal of approval at some level. So I listen to you and I'm with you and I see how you are and I see a good man. But something tells me there's been a few times in your life where you got home and you sat in the fetal position and you said, today I wasn't a good man. Can you share with the audience one of those situations and what happened in your life where you didn't really feel that way about yourself? So when I was young, I started getting into a lot of trouble and part of it, a lot of it was because I was bored, but also my parents had been dealing with like the death of my grandpa and a lot of work stress and just adult stuff. And I was probably 13, 14 years old. And I started tapping phone lines in my neighborhood to listen to other people's phone conversations. How did you learn how to do that? I was curious about what those big green phone boxes were. And I opened one up. They said you needed a special shaped wrench, but you know, you can figure out how to open something up that needs a wrench if you just spend enough time. So I opened it up and I saw that the the lineman who was repairing the phone lines had this orange phone and it had alligator clips on it. And I I took one of those from the truck. I can't, yeah, hopefully the statute of limitations is up on these particular <laughs> criminal activities. He was eating lunch at a diner and I opened up the, the phone trucks. They have all these compartments on the side and they lock, but I think the guys just went, who's going to steal a thinking lineman's handset while I'm eating a hot dog? So I, I grabbed it. And I took the handset and I opened it up and opened up the green box and I would put the lineman's handset on the, the line pairs, these sets of screws. And those green boxes, there's all these screws. And they got wires attached. And each pair of wires is someone's landline for their phone. And this is the 90s. There were only landlines. Nobody had mobile phones. There weren't people who didn't have landlines. So your whole neighborhood is in these green boxes. And you can just go up there. And if there's bushes near them, you can sit in the bushes you know, throw your BMX bike next to the bush and you can sit there for hours listening to people's conversations on the side of the road. And that's what I did for a long time. And I noticed some people were buying things with credit cards on these phone uh, phone conversations. I heard a lot of interesting stuff, uh, that's for sure. And I learned a lot about adults from these conversations, but I also got some credit card numbers from some of the conversations and I used it to buy pizza for my whole school once. And uh, of course, I I didn't get caught, but a friend of mine who knew that I did it told everyone. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. How so, did he know that you did it? Well, I told him. That was, that was my mistake. Get information, never give it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, if only I'd known that, I would have been a better criminal. But it's probably a good thing I got caught eventually or had to admit it because it wasn't the police that scared me. It wasn't the FBI that scared me. It wasn't the principal or any of that that scared me. It was when my parents sat me down and said, you know, this is our fault. We failed you as parents and you're going to, if you stay this way, you're going to go to jail and you're going to be a bad kid and we're going to blame ourselves forever. And that amount of guilt was a, that was a life changing dose of chemo guilt from my parents because I thought I don't care about this pizza place and I don't care about the principal and I don't care about the police and I don't care about... Uh, the money because I had to repay it myself, you know, over time with the pizza place. I don't care. 
and they but I did care that my mom was upset and that my dad was upset and I really cared that they blamed them. I thought they were going to get mad at me and that then we would just sort of fight it out and it would be over. But the fact that she felt like it was somehow her fault for not paying enough attention, which in retrospect, I'm sure it had something to do with all that mess. But the fact that she felt even worse about it was what made me feel so bad. And I, I straightened up pretty much right away after that. I did my community service. I did my, uh, the, the, the repairs and all the stuff at the YMCA that the guys were having me do for the, to, to make amends. And I paid for the pizza. And then after that, I thought, you know, I've, this is a waste of time. I can do, and, and, and also the FBI helped. They, they thought, I thought they were going to get me in big trouble. And what the FBI agent said was, look, man, you're 13 or 14 years old. You figured out how to get a lineman's handset, open up a green box, tap phone wires, get credit cards, make a purchase, and you're 13, 14 years old. There are, there are engineers in our Washington, D.C. office that don't know how you did what you did and how you figured out how to get all these things that you'd been doing. Because I've been doing other stuff that I told them all. I told them all about everything, all the chat rooms online and everything. They thought, and they said, Agent Forrester told me, I remember his name, he told me, Look, man, you, you are too smart to get in trouble like this. You should be using this stuff for something else. This is a waste of your time. The criminals, the people we catch, these guys are dumb. You're not dumb. You're just you're just applying yourself in the wrong way. And I, I remember not caring in the moment and then thinking about that for probably three or four years. That's an incredible story. So did you ever slip again from that point on? Crime-wise, no. I don't think I ever committed any crimes knowingly after that. I, I did uh, I did do a brief overnighter in jail in Serbia for an immigration violation, but, you know, that's a, I feel like that's a technicality, right? <laughs> so my visa expired and I didn't go renew it. You know, what are you going to do? How did you get out? That was an interesting situation, too, because I I'd ended up going to register with the police and trying to renew my visa in Serbia... And since I was there so late at night, they just decided, oh, you must have done something wrong. So they threw me in a lockup with a bunch of Roma, or as we call them, I guess, gypsies, but I think that's a f actually not the politically correct term, with a bunch of Roma prostitutes. And they were chain smoking and everything overnight, smoking these cigarettes and yelling and at each other and having a loud conversation. And in the morning, they came to give us all kind of a put us in front of the judge and when the judge found out that I'd been locked up overnight with all these prostitutes breathing in the smoke, he said, all right, I feel really bad. I'm only going to give you a fine of 50 euros. Go renew your visa, and I don't want to see you back here. And they definitely shouldn't have locked you up for that. I'm sorry. So it was just kind of one of those administrative BS things. And I thought, all right, well, at least I'm not a criminal here. But this was a cultural experience I didn't really need. But I'd, I'd gone to Serbia looking for cultural experience, going abroad in general looking for a cultural experience, but uh, I didn't necessarily want to have it incarcerated. You know, I kind of wanted to do it at a bar, at restaurants, and out with girls my own age, not, not with a bunch of chain-smoking gypsy or Roma prostitutes in a jail cell. You seem like the kind of guy who seamlessly is able to go anywhere and make it work. And figure out a language, even when you don't know the language and you know five languages. Yeah. So when you were in Serbia, were you trying to figure out the language there as well? I went there because I had gotten a job in Ukraine 
I got in a job in Ukraine, and two days before I was supposed to go there, they canceled the job. What kind of job was that? It was that? a teaching job, actually. You wanted to teach in the Ukraine? Yeah, I was. it was like a summer job. Teach it, English? Yeah, it was an English teaching job. And then I applied for another... They said, don't worry, we're going to find you another job. And I said, great. And then a few days went by, and I thought, look, my summer's taken away here. What's going to happen? And the, the gal who was supposed to get me the job said, okay, I found you another job. It's in a factory, but it's not in a city. And I said, I'm going to pass on that. I don't want to work in a Ukrainian factory that's not in a town when I'm supposed to be an English teacher in a big city. That sounds like a massive downgrade and potentially very <laughs> dangerous. I don't know what kind of factory this is. Sounds like maybe I'll never be able to leave. So they said, well, there's another job in Serbia. You can go do that teaching job. But that's the only other available job anywhere that we have right now. I said, great. So I booked a flight. And I think a week or less later, I was off and I moved to Serbia and I showed up and I said, great, uh, show me where I'm going to live and let me know, you know, when I can start getting paid and how this is going to work. And when I start my training and the, the woman there said, I don't know where you're going to live. That part's on you. I'm paying you 50 euros a month or 100 euros a month, which was not even, I mean, that wasn't even half of my rent for like. That was like two weeks of, of food, maybe, if I ate only cheap grocery store stuff. And she didn't. She said, training? No, you're just going to teach like you always have. And I said, I'm not a trained educator. And she w threw her hands up in the air and said, oh, great. So they just sent me some guy who just graduated from college. And I said, yeah, I haven't actually finished, <laughs> finished that yet. And I'm not studying education. <laughs> and she went, oh, well, well, you're already here. And you, you speak English natively, so it's fine. So that was my, those are my qualifications to be an English teacher in Serbia in 2004. Did you form a curriculum before you started? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I formed a curriculum. I think every day started with me running into my boss's office and saying, okay, uh, what should I do today? You know, and she said, well, you're a native speaker. You know, you can just do their homework with them and talk. And then every day I would do their homework with them and talk and then every day my boss would berate me for not knowing what I was doing and not having a proper curriculum and then the next morning she'd be like yesterday was so great just continue doing what you're doing and then at the end of the day she'd say what the hell was that you know these people are paying you what are you doing so I don't know exactly what her deal was she turned out to be a great friend of mine for years and years but she just had two personalities one in the morning and one at the end of the day and I never <laughs> figured it out Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career
forever. Hey everybody, I am really, really excited. We have a sponsor, AquaTrue. This is the first countertop water purifier using multi-stage reverse osmosis technology. I know it sounds complicated, but let's put it this way. This is something that can take your tap water and can turn it into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You're going to be enjoying the best water, the safest water. And if you haven't read all the news about Flint, Michigan, in every single state, there's over 100 chemicals found in tap water that are not even regulated by the EPA. Many of them are cancer-causing and have lead in them. So you can go to a special website that we've set up called industrystandardwater.com. It takes you directly to the AquaTrue site. And if you get this product, you're going to get $100 off. Just type in 100 in the special code section. You'll get that money off and you'll start saving. You can put a whole huge bottle of Diet Coke in this machine. And 10 minutes later, it'll come out with the best tasting water you've ever had. I got one of these products. It was unbelievable. Industrystandardwater.com. And you'll be enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever tasted. When you were growing up and you'd done these bad things and then you started realizing, as that man told you, use your powers for good, right. not evil. It seems odd to me that after you got all that great mentoring, the first thing you roll out of the gate with is let me teach English in another country. Yeah. How is that using the incredible skill set and power that you had in that area of business? Good question. I think what it was, I had, well, actually, I finished college and I tried to apply for some jobs and I got rejected from all of them and so did all my friends. And they got rejected from a bunch of their jobs. And I went into Best Buy and I had a friend who worked there. And I said, look, man, I can build and repair computers. I can install and uninstall software. I can get rid of viruses. I can do pretty much anything. He goes, great, man, you should get a job here. And I said, all right. So I interviewed and they said, well, if you want to do the computer repair and the customer service thing, you have to sell music. You have to start in the music department for like a year or two. And I went, look, man, I'm here. Hopefully I'm only here for a few months. But I already know how to do all the stuff with the computers. You know, I can really build one from essentially from scratch, from parts, of course. And I'm happy to do that for customers. I can figure out almost anything that's wrong with the computer. And they went, it doesn't matter. You've got to sell music first. So I, I decided I didn't want to take that job at, right after college because I was, one, hopefully on my way to some other type of career. And two, why am I going to sell Britney Spears CDs when I can build computers? This doesn't make any sense. And I'd already been an exchange student in high school in the former East Germany. So I really loved traveling. I really loved living abroad. I learned German really well. And I wanted to learn another language of some kind. And I'd been studying Russian. I went to Ukraine for uh, not for a job, but to, to work on my Russian uh, before that. And so I tried to get a job in Russia. It was basically impossible. Like I said, I tried to get that job in Ukraine and go back to Ukraine. It didn't work out. So when I ended up in Serbia uh, right after school, I thought, this is a win it's kind of like Russian, the Serbian language, not exactly, but I can work on this 
And then, you know, I can sort of take it from there. I Retrospect, I was pretty much just winging it, man. You know, I was killing time because everybody said, the reason we're not hiring you is because you don't have experience. And I thought, doesn't everyone who's in college right now not have any experience? And of course, that was the case. But even then, in 2004, it was hard as heck to get a job doing anything. I mean, like I said, I got a job selling CDs that I turned down, and this is after four years at the University of Michigan. With I'd already, at that point, could speak English, German, Spanish pretty much fluently, and I still couldn't get a job doing anything but selling CDs. So I think I just felt really disheartened by that, and I feel really bad for anybody graduating now. I think it's probably even harder. So I didn't really care. Like, I've got to use my skills. I just thought, I've got to get employment of some kind and get experience, even if it pays me a hundred euros a month so that when I get out of here, I can apply and do something that's meaningful, that's worthy of my, you know, high self-perceived level of, of value, which I think is pretty normal for anybody graduating from school. I'm, I'm not going to sell CDs. That's for, that's for somebody like my high school self. I would never do that. And I didn't have a choice. My choice was sell Britney Spears albums or go to Serbia and teach English for 120 or a hundred euros a month. How do you know that you have a skill for something that young? My motivation, my primary motivation, I think, was escapism. Almost exclusively, I think it was escapism. You know, looking back at it, I think I have some kind of wiring that is an unnatural level of dissatisfaction with wherever I'm at in the moment, which sounds like, oh, great, you're always motivated. But it's actually pretty bad to be unsatisfied with wherever you are at any given time, because if you do that wrong... It's, it's, you're basically always unhappy. You could have everything in the world and you can go, but I trade it all for a little bit more, right? And so I had great friends that were very content driving around in the car and, you know, going to Starbucks or whatever and not buying anything and sitting around and hanging around and talking with the other people that were cruising around in their cars and then meeting up at someone's house and playing video games for a minute and then throwing a ball around in a driveway and then meeting at some parking lot downtown where the potheads hung out and chatting with them for five minutes and then taking off. And then, you know, kids, because they got in a fight, so we wanted to leave, you know, st- stupid stuff like that. And I thought, I'm not doing this for another year. I've already been doing this for three years in high school. I got to get out of here. And the girl that I was dating at the time, her mom had done some sort of volunteering with exchange students. And so I was complaining about how boring everything was because my girlfriend, that girl was also bored. She went to boarding school in Norway. She was moving too. And I thought, I got to go somewhere too. I don't think my parents will send me to boarding school in Norway, but maybe I can get the heck out of here. She goes, contact this exchange organization. You should be an exchange student. I said, that sounds amazing. So I contacted that organization and I applied. My parents said, fine, if you really want to do this, you know, you got C's in French all through high school. So I don't know what you're thinking going to some foreign country. You're not really good at languages, but maybe that'll change. And I went to Germany and I stayed, I was there for a year, but I, in a way I got duped and I put this in air quotes because it was the best year of my life really. But I, when I found out where I was going to live, I said, oh, okay, that's cool. That should be really fun. And I was so excited to go and I was telling everybody about it. And some neighbor who had, I don't know, he's an older guy, fought in like World War II. And he goes, oh, that's the east of Germany. And I said, who cares? You know, who cares? I don't care. East, west, whatever. California, New York, doesn't matter. And he said, no, no, no. The Russians controlled that for a while. It's, it was communist up until a few years ago. 
you know, you ever heard of East Berlin and West Berlin? And I was like, no, not really. And he goes, yeah, this is a former communist country you're going to. It's not the same as the rest of Germany. All those Germans you meet when you travel, all those Germans you know here in the States working in the auto industry with your dad, these are that's not those people. These are people who, like, work in chemical factories and, you know, burn coal to keep warm. And I thought, oh, that's going to be terrible because I heard everybody spoke English and I could just go there and blend in. And that's not what happened. And I went there and everybody said, yeah, we learned Russian growing up. And here you are. You're the only American we have ever met. So I was pissed. I was mad. And then a few months in, I realized, well, I can either be really mad about this situation and I can complain about it and I can send nasty emails home about how terrible the situation is and try to get sympathy from my parents. Or I can lean into this. And I so I decided the latter, you know, because my, my dad said, we're bringing you home. And I went, I don't really want to do that. You know, I don't really want to do that. All this complaining was a lot of noise making. I didn't really want to solve the problem. And him sort of drawing that line in the sand, like, fine, we're going to book you a ticket. You come home. It's over. I went, mm, nah, I'll stay. So I stayed and I made a bunch of friends and I learned German and I leaned into the idea that I was the only American that these people had ever met. And I got sort of a volunteer gig going and giving talks all around my city as the, you know, hey, you should be an exchange student. So I was a rep representative of this exchange organization giving talks in every English class about how fun it would be for everyone to go abroad. And that was an amazing life-changing thing because I went from shy, only child tapping phone lines to entertain himself because he was sick of watching Perfect Strangers reruns on the floor of the living room to everybody my age in the whole city knows who I am because I'm talking in their English class. So I kind of turned into this like, miniature wannabe celebrity guy in high school and that really people started treating me differently and I thought I could get used to this and that different treatment changed the way that I acted with other people and I became a lot more outgoing and fun loving and positive I think and uh and I grew up really fast I think I grew up three or four years in that year that I was over there how old were you then I was 17 yeah, 17 years old, living with a family that spoke German only, and another kid who uh, who I still call my brother because he's also an only child. And uh, and we just ran around his city and, and had a great time. But it took months to get used to it. You know, I think anytime you start anything really hard, it's like the ocean. It wants to keep spitting you out. You know, you're surfing and you, you either drown, it spits you out onto the beach, and eventually you get to ride the wave, but not without a lot of hard work to try to get up first. Did you know at the time that you were doing hard work or did you just think, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to Germany and hanging out? Oh, yeah. I was totally naively thinking, I'm, this is going to be great. I'm going to show up. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be parties every single weekend. I'm going to barely go to school. No one's going to care. And then... It's going to be this amazing time. And you have all these fantasies in your head, just like anybody probably who moves to Hollywood or L.A. Yeah, I'm going to show up at the Laugh Factory. I'm so funny. They're all going to love me. And they're going to immediately book me. I'm going to be opening for Tom Arnold or Jerry Seinfeld or something like that. And then Barry Katz is going to call me and I'm going to tell him maybe, you know, and then, <laughs> and then we'll see how it goes from there after my special with Kevin Hart. Right. So. I, I really thought it was going to be sunshine and roses. And then when the work element hit me, I rejected it for a long time. And like I said, my dad was just sick of hearing me complain about it. So he said, fine, you're coming home. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do that. 
But it took him saying, fine, we're going to bring it home. You know, it's over. You failed at assimilating in this foreign country. And that drove me nuts. So that that was why I think I was willing to do the work. And I've asked him about this. He totally didn't mean to do that. I thought that was such good motivation. What a good psychological tactic. He has no idea. <laughs> he had no idea. He'd like to take credit for it, but I don't think he can. When you're over in Germany, you're in a foreign country. Presumably when you're in high school, there's drugs, there's alcohol. Then you go over to Germany, you hear the stories. Hey, if you're caught with drugs in Germany, you could be gone forever. I didn't know that, but I there was definitely alcohol. But the thing was, in Germany, you can drink from age 16 up. So I was legally able to have beers and drink. And I, the culture there, the, the things that I saw there and experienced there were totally different for me. I grew up in Detroit. My parents were normal, middle-class folks, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. And when I moved to Germany, I remember my brother saying, hey, we should have a party. And I thought, well, when's that going to happen? When are, when are mama and papa going to go out of town? And he goes, oh, they're not going to go out of town. They're just going to buy us a bunch of alcohol and go across the street. And I went, let me get this straight. <laughs> Muti is going to go to the grocery store and buy us like three cases of beer. You're going to invite every guy and girl in our whole class. Their parents are going to drive them over here. or They're going to take the bus. Our parents are going to go hang out and have beers and you know sausage across the street just in case we burn the house down. And they're going to leave us alone until like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And then everyone's going to go home and it's going to be fine. I don't believe you. That would never happen in a million years in the United States. And he goes, yeah, it'll be really fun. And sure enough, we go to the grocery store, we buy a bunch of beer, all the guys and girls come over to the house, and 15, 16-year-old kids are drinking and we're blasting music, and the neighbors are all laughing and having a good time, and a couple of them come by and grab a beer and cheers with us and then leave. And uh, the parents come back to grab a couple things out of the refrigerator, and nobody's scared and nobody's worried, and it's just like any crazy college party that you would have seen, only it was in the house where we actually lived. Everyone was more respectful, and our parents were the ones that had bought the alcohol, and nothing bad happened. And we did that all the time. And that blew my mind, because the level of responsibility given to us as irresponsible teenagers that we had somehow managed to fulfill without causing any issues was nothing short of miraculous. Because as you probably know, in the United States, if your parents are gone and you have access to alcohol, something is getting lit on fire. <laughs> That's just how it's going to go. Hey, everybody. As you know, you've heard me speak on this podcast of the importance of clean drinking water. But just if not more important is breathing clean air. The air inside our homes can be up to 100 times more polluted than the air outside. It's a fact. Dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses circulate throughout your home as we speak. Plus, outgasses from your furniture, walls, floors, not to mention ozone, radon, and other chemical contaminants. It's potentially toxic soup in your home, and no ordinary air purifier costing less than $1,000 or more can get rid of all those indoor pollutants until now. And that's why I'm so excited about the Air Doctor. It removes all of these contaminants and more. This product normally retails for $600. That's right. Look on Amazon. You'll see it's $600. 
but for you listening today, you're going to get $300 off and be able to take it home for $299 plus shipping. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and enter the promo code Barry at checkout. You save $300, and it's one of the smartest and most affordable ways to protect the health of your kids, yourselves, and your family. Airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. So what do you do after that? How do you get to the next level of business of doing the stuff that you were doing in law? Yeah, I became a lawyer for largely the same reason that I ended up leaving the country. I was bored and I couldn't get a job. So I decided that I would go to law school because everyone said, yo, you'd make a good lawyer. And these are non-lawyers telling me this. So they have no idea what they're talking about. I applied to law school. And I get in and I quickly realize that everyone is smarter than me. Everyone is just as hard of a worker as me. You know, I can work. I will die on the treadmill. I will work hard, but it's hard to make yourself smarter. And I realized I lost my competitive advantage that I used to have in school where I could kind of coast through things or at least outwork people who are just busy drinking all the time. So law school and Wall Street were really tough. And I learned that that's really where I started to learn that it's all about the value of the relationships. And you'd sort of mentioned this on on my podcast earlier today, that it's all about the value of the relationships that you have. And so there's a book title that I, I love this book title. It's called Dig the Well Before You're Thirsty. And I realized that in order to create and maintain relationships, I really had to dig this well before I was thirsty because I probably could have gotten a different job somewhere else. I probably didn't have to go to law school. I probably could maybe even make it as a partner in a law firm, but I really needed to form relationships and I needed those relationships immediately, not in five years, I'm going to ask these people for something. So I started just trying to figure out how that would work. And I, I took, I took a lot of these classes that people take when they're thinking, Oh, I got to learn networking like Dale Carnegie. You go to the learning annex of the YMCA and they're like firm handshake and look them in the eye. And I tried all that stuff and it was great. But at the end of the day, and you know this, Barry, from from the industry, if someone doesn't like you, it's not because you don't have a firm handshake or your eye contact, you broke the eye contact one second before you should have. There's something else going on, but no one's going to freaking tell you what it is. One, they probably don't even know. And two, no one wants to say, look, you seem like a nice guy. You have great eye contact and a firm handshake, but you smell. Or, you know, you're standing in my personal space. And all of these things you might see on a Seinfeld episode, people don't talk about that stuff. I remember that on Saturday Night Live when I was hanging out there with when I had clients on the show. And they had a meeting because there was a big article that was written called Saturday Night Dead. And Sandler and Spade and Farley and Mike Myers and all the guys went into Lawrence Michael's office. And they said, we don't understand, Lorna. Every time we're out on the street... People tell us how funny we are and how much they love the show. And Lauren would say something like, and I'm paraphrasing, people don't tell you what they really mean. They'll just tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. I think that's brilliant. No no one's going to go, hey, look, Barry, nice <laughs> to see you. We've never met. A bit of honest feedback. I really don't think what you're wearing goes with the rest of what you, you know, your office attire or something. <laughs> As Jeff Ross would say, this is my Forever 41 outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think it's absolutely correct with the, the relationship thing that I learned early on that I had to dig that well before I was thirsty and create those relationships. That was really something where I thought, okay, I've got to focus on this. And I spent the rest of my, even now, the next decade and change 
really focused on how do I build relationships in a way that doesn't make me feel slimy and gross and I, how do, I don't want to do it fake. I don't want to have people where I'm like glad handing all the time or throwing business cards at people. I, I hated that. And I really wanted to figure out that psychology. And that's largely what I talk about on the Jordan Harbinger show is I'll interview great people like yourself, but I also spend a lot of time, all right, here's how you create connections. Here's how you maintain connections. Here's how you uh, keep in touch with people when you know a lot of people, nonverbal communication and all that stuff. That became really important to me. So you go through the law, three years of school to get where you want to go. Do you actually use it for anything or you just use no. it for the experience of it? Yeah, I really worked on Wall Street for about a year. That was it, man. Economic downturn came around. The whole firm went under. This is a 160-year-old law firm. The whole firm went under and they were saying, you guys have to get new jobs. We'll pay you severance for nine months. So I took the severance and I used that as seed capital to start the show, to start my old show and then to start... Of course, this that became the Jordan Harbinger show. Um, I used that severance to do that. So I, I ended up landing on my feet in a way because the law firm was paying for my student loans. They were paying for, or at least for the time, and they were paying me Wall Street money, but I was still living a student lifestyle. So I was paying my loans off, and I used that money to start the company. Okay, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our sponsors, AquaTrue, the groundbreaking small countertop water purifier. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry. Get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. And the groundbreaking documentary, I Killed JFK, and the additional interviews of five of the last remaining JFK assassination experts. Features the only living person in history to admit to killing President Kennedy. You can purchase these exclusively at IKillJFK.com. When Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? Trust me, I guarantee it will change the way you look at the world. And the incredible air purifier, the air doctor, that removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and everything bad in your house. You can save $300 right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and entering the promo code Barry and finally start breathing in clean and healthy air in your home starting today. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my partners at Wondery. They are truly amazing. Recently, they asked me to request if you would just take a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey. Just go to wondery.com survey, and you can do it straight from your smartphone. It would really help us out here at the show and at Wondery. That's wondery.com survey. I really appreciate it. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car all the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over 
So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.